I'd like you to take out a sheet of paper uh, and a pen. You can always use one of the pencils in the, in the little pews for the offering envelopes. But I'd like, you can use the paper that you got in your uh, worship folder. What I'd like you to do is take just a minute and write down three things that you are currently uh, fearful of. I don't mean like afraid of in general, like natural catastrophes or scared of the dark or death, but situation you're in right now and what uh, fears uh, are associated with that, things that you're experiencing right now that you're afraid of. If you need to write it in sort of code so that nobody around you can kind of figure out what it is you're saying, that's perfectly fine, but I'd like you to take just a few minutes and, and write those down. having trouble thinking about maybe like a second or third thing that you're currently uh, fearful about. Maybe uh, one of your children has formed an unhealthy relationship uh, with someone that you would prefer for them not to be connected to. Maybe you uh, are experiencing depressive thoughts and feelings as the winter drags on and you're afraid that these are just going to keep going. Um, perhaps you feel like you missed a golden opportunity this week to make your life better and you're afraid that it's not going to come around again or you're afraid that uh, that was your chance and now it's gone. The reason why I ask you to do this is last week we talked about how faith, seeing things with the eyes of faith, can be difficult uh, for rational reasons. In other words, when we think about things logically, it can be difficult to think about things with faith. Today, we want to talk about the fact that there are irrational reasons that can hinder our ability to see the situations that we're in with the eyes of faith. Last week we talked about, in order to see things with the eyes of faith, sometimes you have to stop looking at them with the eyes of logic. This week we want to talk about the fact that there are sometimes irrational things like worry or doubt or anxiety or most of all fear that can cloud our vision and make it difficult for us to see which way to go or the path in front of us, or what God is up to. And the point is, is that worry, doubt, anxiety, fear, these are not rational things. 
You can't simply sit down and uh, think them away. In fact, if you've ever tried to do that, sometimes you find it just makes it worse as you try to think through all the reasons why. And sometimes people are trying to be really helpful. And they give you suggestions as to why it's not logical for you to be afraid. And that's wonderful. But I don't know about you, that's not really helpful for me. It's because fear is what it is. It's irrational. It's an emotion. And you can feel it whether it makes sense or not. And so this morning we want to think about how you can see things with the eyes of faith in the midst of irrational emotions like fear. How you can see things with the eyes of faith when you're afraid. And the reason why I wrote you, I had you write down those three situations is because I want us to hear what God's Word has to say, but then I want to apply it as we think about those situations that you're going through right now. And talk about how actually those situations in which you are experiencing fear can be an opportunity to see things with the eyes of faith. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11, it's page 975 in the Bibles the church provides. Hebrews chapter 11, page 975. We've been spending some time in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 because we want to be able to live our lives by faith. We, want, we know that without faith it's impossible to please God and we want to be people of faith. Not just those who have saving faith, but people who live by faith. Who walk by faith and not by sight. And so the way Hebrews 11 is broken down is we've taken it in a couple of chunks. The first one was verses 1 through 3, which is really a definition of faith. That faith is the ability to see things that are not normally visible. We then looked at the next section, which is verses 4 through 7. And we came to recognize that in order to see things with the eyes of faith, we sometimes need to engage in what's called the obedience of faith, which means sometimes you just have to get going. Sometimes you just have to start obeying, even though you can't see it and it doesn't make any sense. But when you do, you begin to journey on that path and suddenly things become more clear. Last week, we looked at the third section, which was verse 8 uh, through 22, verses 8 through 22, and that was the illogical nature of faith, that sometimes in order to see things with the eyes of faith, we have to stop trying to see them with the eyes of logic. This week, we look at the fourth section, which is verse 23, verses 23 through 31, and in this section, there are five stories being referenced by the author of Hebrews. And all five stories have one thing in common. It's the emotion of fear. And so we're going to work through what these five stories teach us about fear and how the things that we're currently fearful of can be opportunities to see things with the eyes of faith. So let's look through these stories together. We begin in verse number 23, Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not, what? Afraid of the king's edict. Here's the situation the author in Hebrews is talking about is that at this time in Israel's history, they are in captivity in Egypt 
And Pharaoh, who is the ruler of Egypt, wants or, or passes an edict that says all baby boys, all Israelite baby boys must be killed. He does this because he wants to engage in population control and because he wants to oppress and subjugate the Israelites further. Now you can only imagine if you're a parent living at that time what kind of incredible fear you would have if you became pregnant. Especially if you became pregnant and gave birth to a boy. I mean here is the state with all of its resources wanting to kill your child. And it's pretty difficult to hide the fact at a certain point that this was a boy who was born during a certain period of time. You would think that this would be terrifying for you as a parent. But interestingly, in verse 23, it says, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Why were Moses' parents not afraid of the king's edict? Well, Hebrews 11 doesn't tell us, but Exodus chapter 1 gives us the rest of the story. In Exodus 1, we're told the midwives, however feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. It's safe to assume that Moses' parents and the midwives are making this choice for the same reason. They have a greater fear of God than they do of Pharaoh. This is why they're not afraid of Pharaoh is because they're afraid of God. Second story, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and following. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not what? Not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now at the point in Moses' life that Hebrews is talking about, Moses has fled from Egypt. He fled from Egypt because he killed an Egyptian and Pharaoh was furious with him and wanted to kill Moses. The Bible tells us that Moses was petrified and he flees from Egypt. That's where Hebrews 11 picks up the story. And from Hebrews 11 point of view, Moses sees him who is invisible. This is a reference to the burning bush. That at the burning bush, Moses has a visual representation of God. He then goes back into Egypt, demands that Pharaoh let the Israelites go, performs incredible plagues, signs, and wonders, becomes public enemy number one, so that all the Egyptians hate Moses. And the question is, he then leads them out of Egypt. The question is, how did Moses overcome his fear of Pharaoh? Like that's why he left Egypt in the first place. He thought Pharaoh was going to hunt him down and kill him. Now he goes back and this time he leads all of the Israelites out of Egypt and does so with no fear of Pharaoh. Well, what changed? Hebrews 11 doesn't say, but Exodus 3 does. Exodus 3, standing at the burning bush, 
It says that God said to Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What changed from when Moses left Egypt the first time to when he left Egypt the second time was that he became more afraid of God than he was of Pharaoh. He left Egypt the first time because he was afraid of Pharaoh. He went back to Egypt and left the second time because he was afraid of God. Third story, verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This picks up the story after Moses leads, leads the Israelites out of Egypt. They are pursued by Pharaoh and his army. They end up pinned against the Red Sea. And as you can imagine, if you've got an army hunting you down, whose sole purpose is to kill every man, woman, and child, you're going to be terrified. The question is, what gave them the courage to turn and start walking into the Red Sea? Again, Hebrews doesn't tell us. But Exodus fills out the rest of the story. Exodus chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. What gives the Israelites the courage to turn their back on the Egyptian army and start walking through the Red Sea? Because they are growing in their fear of the Lord so that they fear God more than they fear the advancing Egyptian army. Story number four, verse 30 of Hebrews 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. We now jump forward a generation to the time of Joshua. Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And the first place they're going to stop is Jericho. They're going to come through the Jordan River. And the very first place they're going to stop is Jericho. Now, if you're familiar, think for a moment of the previous generation. Why didn't the previous generation enter into the promised land with Moses? They were afraid. They were afraid. They came and spied out the land, meaning Jericho. And they saw there were giants living in the land. And they came back and they reported and they said, yeah, the fruit there is great, but you should see the warriors. We're like little tiny grasshoppers in their eyes. These are enormous people. Now question, what's happened 40 years later when Joshua comes back? Did all the people shrink? Are they smaller now? Why are the Israelites not afraid? to go into Jericho this time. And in fact, not only not afraid, they're actually brave enough to walk around the city of Jericho blowing trumpets seven times. Where did they get this courage from? 
Again, Hebrews doesn't tell us, but Joshua does. Joshua chapter 4. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The Israelites' fear of God is now greater than their fear of the people in the land. They're willing to go into Jericho and obey this silly command of marching around the city seven times because they fear God more than they fear the giants in the land. Last story. Verse 31. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab is not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite, and she's a native of the city of Jericho. Spies from the Israelites during Joshua's time come in to spy out the city again. Now, Rahab understands that if she is caught harboring these spies, she's going to be put to death. The whole city will be against her. Yet she takes in the spies hides them, gives them valuable information, and sends them back to enable them to be victorious in their battle against Jericho. And the question is, where did she get the courage to defy the order of the people in the city, don't harbor any spies, to turn against all that she knew and side with God and his people instead of the people of Jericho? Well, Hebrews doesn't tell us, but Joshua does. Joshua chapter 2. This is Rahab speaking. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab fears God more than she fears the retribution of her own people. Do you see how these five stories all fit together? In each case, you have a very valid reason for being afraid. If someone is killing babies and you're pregnant, that's a reason to be afraid. If someone wants to kill you, that's a reason to be afraid. If you've got an entire army wanting to slaughter you and all your people, that's a reason to be afraid. If you are an advancing, conquering army and you're going into a land filled with people a lot bigger and a lot stronger than you, that's a reason for fear. And if you have to do something that everybody you live with and everybody you know is going to hate you for and want to kill you for doing it, that's a reason for fear. But in all these cases... All five of these stories are stories about people who feared God more than their circumstances. You see, fear is blinding. It's irrational. Like I said at the beginning, you can't talk yourself out of being afraid, and God knows that. That's why in all of these cases, there was not a set of logical arguments that God presented to the people. Instead, what he gave them was a far better gift. And that was the ability to fear him more than they feared their circumstances. 
The only thing that really counteracts fear is fear. But fear of God, which is not simply a being afraid as much as it is a proper relationship to who God is. And so what God prescribes for you this morning and for me, as you look at those three things on your list, is not logical arguments to stop you from being afraid. He prescribes the gift of the fear of the Lord. Because when you fear the Lord, when you see the Lord the way he really is, it changes everything about the circumstances. But that begs the question, well, how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point of fearing the Lord? How does Moses get to the point of he was afraid of Pharaoh and now he's not afraid of Pharaoh because he feared the Lord? How does that thing happen? How do we grow in our fear of the Lord so that the things we wrote down on our paper are no longer making us afraid because we fear God more than those things? Well, there are three principles from these five stories. Three principles from these five stories about how you and I can utilize the things we are afraid of as opportunities to grow in our fear of the Lord and so see clearly the path we're supposed to take. The first comes out of the story of Moses' parents and the midwives. Moses' parents and the midwives know if they disobey Pharaoh, they're in trouble. But if they disobey God, that's really bad. You see, the key, one of the keys to fearing the Lord, the first key, is to realize God has an opinion about everything that we're doing. We tend to forget that God is involved in probably some of the things we wrote down on our lists are there because we're more worried about what other people think of us than we are what God thinks of us. That we're more worried about what our girlfriends are going to say about us if we don't go with them to that movie that we shouldn't be watching. We're more worried about what people at work are going to think about us if we don't sacrifice our family on the altar of work or our church life on the altar of work. We're more worried about what other people are going to say about us or what other people are going to do to us if we reveal the things in our heart that we have messed up and we're thinking, if I share with them my sins and my errors and my faults, they'll want nothing to do with me. And you know what? Some of that might be true. It may be difficult for you at work. It may be difficult for you with your, your, your female friends. It may be difficult for you if you open up and share the things that you've done wrong or bring to light the things that should be brought to light. But the point is, is that go back and ask the question, what does God think? What does God think about what you're up to? What does God think about this decision that you're going to make? What the midwives and Moses' parents are able to do is they're able to realize, yes, Pharaoh's going to be upset with us, but I would rather have Pharaoh upset with us than to have God upset with us. I would rather do what is wrong in Pharaoh's eyes than do what is wrong in God's eyes. Look, there's a very sober passage, sobering passage in Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Okay, this doesn't mean you can't tease God. That's not what that's saying. What this means is, is when you and I think that we're going to pull something off, 
that we're going to get away with something that God will just kind of turn the other cheek or not think about it or not look at it or not really care about it or when we think he's busy with other stuff and isn't really worried about these little things that we're doing. When we think, oh yeah, well I'll pretend that I shared what was really going on in my life, but I didn't. Look, God is not mocked. We don't get to play games with him. He's not fooled by us. He's not tricked by us. We don't get to manipulate him. We don't get to maneuver him into situations which are no-win situations for him. That's not how it works. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Some of us here this morning, when we wrote our things down on our list, some of us, not all of us, please, not all of us, some of us here this morning are afraid of those things on that list because we're more concerned about what other people think about us than we are about what God thinks about us. And some of us need to think through the actions and the behaviors that we have engaged in that put us into those situations that are making us afraid. We need to realize God is not mocked. If you choose to disobey God, it will go far, far worse than if your friends or your neighbors or your spouse or whoever is disappointed in you. That's the first principle. Second principle comes out of the story of Moses and the children of Israel at the edge of the Red Sea. Some of us are here this morning not because we need to realize that God disciplines us when we disobey him. Some of us are here this morning because we need to have the same thing happen for us that happened to Moses and the children of Israel as they stood at the edge of the Red Sea. And that is namely, we need to hear God say to us, I love you, don't be afraid. The reason why Moses is not afraid to go back to Egypt is he just met with the God who's invisible and God said to him, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am who I am. I will be with you. I will take care of you. I will watch over you. The reason why the children of Israel are standing at the Red Sea and they turn to go into the Red Sea is because God says, look, don't be afraid. I love you. I will fight for you. I will not abandon you to this advancing horde. Some of us here are here this morning because God brought us here so that we could hear him say to us from Exodus 14, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Please, this is God talking to you, not just God talking to the Israelites a long time ago. Hear God's voice saying to you, you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Some of those things on your list, they feel like an advancing horde of Egyptians. They feel like a Pharaoh who wants to hunt you down and kill you. And what you and I need to hear God saying is, don't be afraid. I love you. Don't be afraid, I will not abandon you. Some of us here this morning need to hear God speak to us through the words of Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You need to know that God is saying to you, look, you belong to me. I've called you by name. I will not let you drown. 
Some of us need to hear God saying to us the words of Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Some of us God brought here this morning so we could write our three things down so that right now you can hear God speaking to your heart saying, listen, my son, listen, my daughter, I see those things. I know that they are frightening. But listen to me, I love you. I will not abandon you. I know you're going through the rivers. I know it feels like your life is on fire. It will not drown you. I won't let it happen. Third, and these come from the story of Israel around Jericho and Rahab. In both cases, Israel is willing to go into the promised land and, and, and march around the city of Jericho because they watched God dry up the Jordan. Rahab is willing to not be afraid of her own people and decide with God because she has heard reports of God's mighty acts and power. And some of us are here this morning because we need to be reminded that God's incomparably great power is at work for us who believe. Some of those things I'm guessing you put on your list, they're the same things I put on my list. And if we get to the heart of them, it's because we're putting our hope in the wrong thing. Listen to what Psalm 33 says. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Some of us are worried that, hey, look, if my son doesn't do better in athletics, he's not going to get a scholarship and I'm not going to be able to pay for college. If my daughter doesn't make the sports team, she's not going to have a good experience in high school or a good experience in college. Some of us are worried, hey, look, if I can't get an emergency fund built up, how am I gonna do, what am I going to do if an emergency comes? Some of us are worried about the fact that, hey, look, I need to get into that situation and I need to try to talk things through and I need to make everything right and I've got to present my case. The problem is sports, money, our own ability to talk, those are vain things to put your hope in those are vain things which of us can change anything about our future are you really guaranteed that if your child gets a sports scholarship that that's going to help them grow closer to Jesus are you is that how we guarantee that our kids have a good experience in high school is because they make a team is our emergency fund is that how we're guaranteed we're going to be able to take care of emergencies is our own smooth talking ability or our ability to convince people of our point of view is that how we're going to get out of whatever situation we're in my guess is if your list looks anything like my list, there's some things on there that we're afraid of because we're putting our hope in the wrong stuff. Amen. We're hoping, I'm not going to have the strength to pull this off. You're not. But God is. His incomparably great power is at work for us who believe. This past weekend and week, we had a small group from Calvary Church go uh, to Honduras to meet with our mission partners, Andy and Carmen Castillo. They were going down there because we have been partnering with Andy and Carmen to try to think about how we can expand the ministry that they're there. And uh, some men from the church who have some expertise and, and, and some ability in those areas went down to look at some land, try to figure out a plan and put together some stuff to be able to help them do ministry in Honduras. And so I got an email from one of the team members who went, uh, and this is the email, or at least uh, a version of the email he sent me. 
The main part of our mission on this trip was to help the family group secure property for the ministry center we'd like to help them build. One of the possible places, pieces of property was owned by the mayor and he was invest, interested in hearing our proposal. Upon arrival at his office and after lots and lots of prayer, Andy Castillo and other members of the family group took time to walk the mayor through the project step by step, detailing out everything, including the spiritual aspect of the mission. At that point, we were prepared to pay $50,000 or more for a slice of the property, whatever he would be willing to offer us while hoping we could get a couple of acres. After hearing about the project, the mayor was elated with the opportunity presented, and then the Lord showed up in a big way. The mayor gave us six and three quarters acres for free. We walked out of that meeting praising the Lord. Look, that's not something that happened 2,000 years ago. That's something that happened like two days ago. God's incomparably great power at work for us who believe. If we put our hope in our ability to raise funds, well, how do we know the mayor's even going to sell us the land? If we put our ability in, in our, if we put our hope in our ability to be a smooth talker, present a good plan, can, how do we know that we'd even have the money to do it or that he would even buy it? The point is, if you're putting your hope in these other things, it's going to create fear. But to fear the Lord is to realize his incomparably great power is at work for us who believe that God takes the hearts of people and simply shifts them in the yes. direction he wants them to go. The whole earth is his. That's his six and three quarters acres. He owns it. He simply says to the mayor, I want you to give them that land for free. That's what God does. And the way you fear God is you stop looking at what all these other things can do to you or for you and start looking, how has God been at work in your life? Did he not send his son to die for you? Did he not raise that Jesus from the dead? Did he not say, how will I not with him freely give you all things? This power that separated the Red Sea, this power that conquered death, this is the power God uses for us on our behalf. And some of those things we wrote down that we're afraid of, if we went back and thought through just exactly who's on our side, just exactly what he can do, just exactly what he has already done, suddenly our fear for him is going to go up and our fear of others is going to go down. So the question for you this morning, the question for me, which situation are you in? If you wrote those three things down, maybe each one goes with a different piece. But did God bring you here this morning to say to you, listen, Part of the reason why you're afraid in that situation is you're much more worried about what everybody else thinks than what I think. You're scared of your boss at work. You're scared of your child. You're scared of the circumstances, but you haven't stopped to ask what I think about what you're up to. And you're making choices that will try to win you their favor, but you don't realize that I'm growing angry. Or are you in the situation where God's brought you here this morning and said, look, I know you've got an army bearing down on you. You need to know that I will not leave you. I will stand by your side. Don't be afraid, I love you. Trust in my unfailing love. There will not be one moment of one day that I will take off. I will not be busy with other things. I will not be concerned with everything else except you. 
I love you. I will not leave you. No one has ever loved you the way I love you. Don't be afraid. Or as God brought you here this morning to say, look, you're trusting in the wrong stuff. You're hoping for the wrong stuff. You think a little bit more money is going to solve your problem? You think if you could just sit down and talk to that person and present your point of view, everything would be okay? You think if that person was just no longer in your life that everything would be all right? Listen, can you not see what I can do? Do I not regularly do things that are immeasurably greater than anything you could ask for or imagine, let alone what anybody else can do? I do stuff that's better than you can even think of. What I got planned for you in the midst of this situation, the reason you're afraid and you can't see it is because you've limited your sight to only the things you're capable of doing. Let me fight for you. See what I can do. I can part the Red Sea. I can raise a man from the dead. I can create the whole world. I can handle this problem. Please trust me. Which one of these three are you in? Why did God bring you here this morning? Why, at the beginning of the sermon, when it was time to write down those things, did you think of the ones you thought of? See, every area that we're afraid in is an area to learn to fear God in. And every situation where we learn to fear God, that cancels out our fear of circumstances, our fear of people, our fear of future. Look, Hebrews is not saying you shouldn't be scared if somebody wants to kill your baby. Hebrews is not saying you shouldn't be afraid if Pharaoh wants to hunt you down and kill you. Hebrews is not saying you shouldn't be afraid to go into a land and face giants or when an army wants to hunt you down or when you have to do something that everybody around you would reject. It's not saying that. It's not trying to talk you out of being afraid. What it's saying is, is look, I know you feel that fear, but take your eyes off of those circumstances and put them on the Lord. He is a holy God. If you disobey him, that will be far, far worse than disobeying others. Listen to him say that he loves you. Let him show you his incomparably great power. And as he creates within you and me the fear of the Lord, that's the thing that counteracts the irrational fear that we feel. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm preaching to myself here. And so, God, uh, it's easy. It's easy to think, well, I'm not going to make it through the morning. Uh, I don't have the strength to do it. Uh, but it's not my strength, it's your strength. Lord God, it's easy for us to feel like we've been abandoned. Lord, there are some here who need to hear you say to them, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lord, some of us have been so concerned about what everybody else thinks about us that we've stopped thinking about what you think about us. Lord, I don't know why you brought each of these people here this morning. I don't know why you brought me here this morning. And so, Lord, I'm simply asking you to do in their hearts what you're doing in mine, which is help us to fear you, not the things around us. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We can't think our way through it. We can't force it to happen. But God, through your word and in faith, this can be our reality. So I'm asking you to do this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.